Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Three top congressional security officials have resigned following Wednesday's violent pro-Trump insurrection at the Capitol that left five dead. And D.C. law enforcement officials have announced the arrests of at least 80 rioters. As House Democrats weigh a second impeachment, we'll talk about who should be held accountable for Wednesday's siege and how. And then at 930, 1.4 million unemployment claims have been suspended as the California's Employment Development Department fights a major fraud problem. We'll get the latest, including the ongoing backlog of claims still plaguing the agency. That's all next, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for a second impeachment of President Trump is gaining momentum among House Democrats this morning, two days after the violent siege of the U.S. Capitol by pro-Trump rioters that left five dead, including a Capitol police officer whose death is being investigated as a homicide. The insurrection has many grappling with questions of accountability and justice. And in this segment, We'll talk about who should be held responsible for Wednesday's insurrection and what legal and political remedies are available and appropriate. Joining me is Stanford political science professor Bruce Kane. And good morning, Bruce Kane. Welcome. Good, good morning, Michael. I guess the place I'd like to begin with you is this question of accountability. There have been 80 arrests, as I said. There's investigations that are ongoing, including most recent death of an uh, officer. And uh, at this point, uh, many people's minds... Uh, what about the president? What about what should be done? What ought to be done? Uh, there's talk about the 25th Amendment. There's talk about impeachment. So let's talk about that first and foremost with you. Uh, 25th Amendment uh, seems not in most people's minds all that viable, uh, too cumbersome perhaps, although they're asking Pence to move forward on it. In fact, uh, we now have John Kelly, former chief of staff, who is urging that we move forward or that the legislators move forward on it the cabinet members or whomever is going to move forward on it seems more likely though that impeachment would be here the second impeachment of donald trump yes i agree with that michael uh i think we have to separate out the question does he deserve either the 25th amendment or uh the impeachment and the answer is yes um, then you have to say, well, what are these processes? They're political processes that require Republican support. We've talked about this before. Is the Republican support there for the 25th Amendment? Right now, I'd say no, because uh, yesterday uh, the vice president didn't even take the phone calls from uh, Nancy and Chuck Schumer. 
So, uh, no, it doesn't. And Bernie Sanders. Like, and Bernie Sanders. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> yeah. But at any rate, he didn't even take the phone call. And moreover, we know from the polling that, uh, you know, uh, basically under a third of the Republican uh, voters believe that there was something serious, some serious affront to democracy committed here. So uh, if you're talking about the political prospects of the 25th Amendment or even of a Senate vote, the answer is it's not too likely. Does that mean it's not a good idea to go forward with the impeachment? No. I think there is a reason to press this forward. I think it's a smart political move uh, and an important and justifiable, morally justifiable move. First of all, as you sort of said in your remarks, the fact that it's the second time he will have been impeached by the House is a stain that he deserves. Secondly, it's pretty obvious from what he said and did that he was complicit in this. Everybody got to see this. Uh, and there's more and more testimony coming out of the White House. So by pressing this, it forces a lot of Republicans in the House and then the senators, the Republicans in the Senate, to take a stand to justify why they think the president is not guilty of these things. And also, it precludes from them a chance to get him out of their life. The Republican Party needs to get Trump out of their life. They need to get the Proud Boys and the fascist element out of their life. And if you were to go forward with impeachment, he would not be able to run for president again. So that may occur to people as they're, you know, as they're forced to make a vote. So I think it's a smart political move. I think it's the right thing to do. It may not succeed, but it could force other kinds of activities like the president possibly resigning faced with the prospect that he will get a lot of votes against him and possibly lose the impeachment. He said that he loved the rioters. He defended them. He said they were very special, all the rest of that. He's clearly incited them. And then, well, once again, lied and said that he did not, in fact, call out. Uh, he said he did call out uh, the National Guard, which was not true. It was Mike Pence who called out the National Guard. But then uh, he gave this um, speech off the teleprompter saying that it was all wrong and uh, spoke of a smooth and order transition and uh, whoever offended uh, or broke the law will have to pay. I mean, in terms of that kind of rhetoric that came too little too late to put it mildly, um, I mean, he's had re resignations in his uh, administration already because of this and so forth. Does that mollify in any way? Does that reduce his culpability? I mean, clearly, in some ways, it may have been prompted by his trying to reduce that culpability at the same time that he's been allegedly engineering a pardon for himself. Yeah, I mean, the pardon is a big worry, but let's get to this apology. It was read <laughs> off the teleprompter, and we know that that means that it was written by the staff and he was forced to do it. I mean, people... Uh, even my own colleagues sort of blanch when I say this, but I, my father was a psychiatrist and my mother was a psychiatric social worker. And our uh, dinner conversations were often about various kinds of mental diseases. This man is clearly a sociopathic narcissist, okay? And the thing about a, a sociopathic narcissist as opposed to the rest of us normal narcissists is that they treat other people like tissue paper. And he treats his staff that way. And now he's treating 
the people, the Proud Boys and the rest as tissue paper. They probably deserve it. But nonetheless, that's what he's doing. He's sort of selling them out and saying, hey, you know, these guys are criminals. They should be thrown in jail. It's going to be interesting to see what that does to the Proud Boys and uh, the other people that were participating in this. But Forgive this, me, Bruce, this not whole... to uh, go against your parents here, but there was a diagnosis given, as I'm sure you're aware, it was a, one of yeah. malignant solipsism by a number of psychiatrists <laughs> who met at Yale to try to at least determine what would be diagnostically appropriate. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, my parents were probably way out of date. That's probably the modern language for it, so, you know. But at any rate, the point is that he treats people like tissue paper, including people that go to bat for him. And that's part of the sociopathic personality that they just have no capacity for empathy or sympathy. But never mind. I mean, who cares? We know what Trump is, what label we put on it doesn't matter. I mean, uh, the bottom line is that this apology is always hedged in various ways by his continuing to perpetrate the lie that this election was stolen from him. And these lies have consequences. Many, many people are saying this over and over again. We've been saying it for four years. Lies have consequences. And this is, the, this is when farce becomes tragedy, as people have said. And uh, there, there were people that took this seriously to the point of trying to disrupt the peaceful exercise and transition of power and instigated by the president of the United States. That's what sets it apart from all these silly arguments about how it's similar to Black Lives Matter riots and other things. Come on, okay? We're talking about something that goes far beyond that. Yeah, in fact, uh, it's been said by many, and uh, I think is almost at this point uh, to be uh, realized as unassailably true that if it had been Black Lives Matter, there would have been a lot more deaths and a lot more killing done by the perhaps uh, those who were there for enforcement. And we can talk about the lack of enforcement. That's a whole subject in itself. Congressional hearings are going to go on in that. But let me invite listeners to join us here with Bruce Kane. Uh, Bruce Kane, again, is professor of political science at Stanford and directs the Bill Lane Center for the American West. Uh, who should be held accountable for Wednesday's deadly siege and how? You can give us a call, and we invite you to do that right now at 866-733-6786. Welcome your calls at 866 866- 733-6786. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. Well, Bruce, what about those who opposed this election? Over 100 elected representatives of the House of Representatives and uh, a number of senators uh, like Hawley, Cruz, Johnson. What about holding them accountable and in what ways should they be held accountable? Um, they should be held accountable in different types of ways. So certainly the people that uh, participated in the riot should be held accountable for serious, uh, you know, issues of violence and uh, intrusion. So there should be jail sentences for people like that. Uh, in terms of the political officials who have perpetrated the kind of uh, mythology and paranoia in the Republican Party that I, I wouldn't criminalize that uh, because for obvious reasons about the need to preserve uh, the freedom of speech under the First Amendment and particularly political speech, but they should be held politically accountable. And that's why I think uh, Nancy is doing the right thing. Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, is doing the right thing by pushing this forward because it forces these people to actually make justifications and be on the record. And that's something that they can be held accountable in recall elections or in uh, the coming upcoming congressional elections in 2022. So 
there's political accountability and there's criminal accountability. Now, if anybody connected to Trump, Rudy Giuliani or Steve Miller or any of these people were involved in the social media campaign that whipped this up, and that should come out if they do this investigation properly, uh, then I think there could be some criminal responsibility there. And, and also remember that once Trump steps down, suddenly he's not protected by the Justice Department anymore. And so criminal and civil liability uh, will come his way on a whole bunch of matters, including this. And that may have been one of the reasons behind the speech he delivered uh, the other day about uh, those who broke the law should be brought to the bars of justice and the like. I'm going to read some comments that are coming in. Grant Wright's Trump statement last night was, as usual, mealy mouth expression of faux sincerity, laughable in its hypocrisy, that he couldn't even bring himself to call by name. The president-elect Joe Biden speaks volumes. There is a malignancy at the core of America. Trump should be impeached and convicted before the weekend is out. And Nathan writes, who's responsible? Fox News, they're spewing lies that Antifa were the ones who caused the insurrection. It's time to revoke their communication license. And Rich says, at this point in the aftermath of the Capitol insurrection, we assume that the cost of repairing the damage shall be borne by taxpayers. Is there a legal basis for compelling Trump to pay the damages sustained in the Capitol insurrection? Bruce Kane, thoughts about either of those comments about Fox News or, for that matter, Trump's culpability for payments? No, I agree with most of that. I mean, I think obviously Fox News is partly responsible and certainly the the more extreme versions of Fox News are even more culpable, the Newsmaxes, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's right. Uh, I think probably, you know, Trump is should be civilly held responsible in terms of damages. I think that would make a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, at some point, we have to get beyond this. And this is what I'm sure Biden is going to say over and over again, because uh, we have a, a chance, probably we'll get frustrated, but we have a chance that maybe we can get beyond some of the obstruction that's going on. We got some serious problems in this country. We got to do something about this COVID crisis. We got to do uh, you know, some real serious stuff about climate change. And we need to, if we demonize all the people that were doing these things, it's going to be hard to get them to cooperate with us on stuff that needs to be done. So yeah, well, that's got to be balanced. Maybe a reconciliation uh, panel or something along those lines. We'll talk more with Bruce Kane when we return and hear from you. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're raising the question, this segment of Forum, about who should be held accountable for Wednesday's deadly siege on the U.S. Capitol and how. And if you have something you'd like to say about this or if you have any questions you might have for our guest, Bruce Kane, who's professor of political science at Stanford, we would like to hear from you. You can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. The number again for your calls, 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email us, forum at kqed.org. Let's bring Susan on as our first caller. Susan, welcome. Good morning. Yeah, 
Yes, I was wondering if someone like Rudy Giuliani would also be held accountable, and also people on the periphery, um, people who are not necessarily in the government. But, I mean, how do you hold someone who's not the president accountable, uh, but certainly were part of inciting that kind of violence? Thank you. Thank you for that question, Bruce King. Yeah, I mean, again, let's remember, I said it once, I'll say it again, that there's political accountability and there is criminal accountability. Uh, Rudy Giuliani is no longer running for office or in office. So then the question is, can they prove uh, criminal accountability? And then it gets really tough uh, to sort of take their somewhat slyly constructed phrases about uh you know, being strong and, and, and keeping up the fight and translating that into uh, whether or not that was direct incitement. And I'm not a lawyer. I can't tell you whether uh, what the odds of getting juries persuaded on that is. Uh, I certainly think it's worth pursuing and looking at. And the U.S. Attorney's Office, I believe, has said that they're going to be looking into both Trump and uh, his allies' accountability for this. But I think it's going to have to be a very careful looking at the record if you're going to be able to to pursue these charges. That's my guess. You're going to have to have on the record a lot more than what we know already. A lot depends, though, doesn't it, on political um, affiliation? I mean, you got Jeffrey Rosen now as attorney general. Bill Barr stepped aside. And uh, it, will, it looks like it's going to be Merrick Garland uh, appointed by President Biden. So uh, vast, <coughs> excuse me, vast difference between those two, certainly, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is where uh, the the role the Justice Department will play and the federal government will play is is uh, a little up in the air right now because what if Biden really doesn't want the, uh, this to sort of get in the way of moving forward on important issues with the Republicans? Then it may be that that um, Merrick Garland may not push as hard as some people would like. So uh, we'll have to see. But remember that. My main concern right now is what's going to happen with a pardon. What if Trump tries to pardon himself or all the 80 people that uh, were, uh, you know, uh, basically locked up and are going to be investigated? What if he tries to pardon all these people under his presidential pardon? Then we're going to have a big constitutional issue that probably should be resolved now, which is whether or not a president can pardon himself and pardon all the people that were fellow criminals. And let me bring another caller on. Kathleen joins us next. Kathleen, good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Yeah, go ahead, Kathleen. You're on the air. Yeah, I had that question of what would keep uh, Donald Trump from pardoning the uh, rioters the last day of his presidency as kind of a parting shot, since it was on federal property and he can pardon people who have federal charges. Thank you. All right. Thank you for that comment. Uh, here's a comment from Jordan who writes, many say that the Capitol Police were racist because they didn't shoot or otherwise discourage the mostly white rioters who breached the Capitol. But could it be that the rioters got as far as they did, not because they were white, but because their movement supports law enforcement? It's an interesting take on it. And, you know, there's been a lot of theories about law enforcement and white supremacists and the police ranks and all of that sort of thing. Thoughts on that, Bruce Kane? Yeah, there's definitely a racial component to it. Let's start with uh, we're going to, I bet we're going to find that some of the Capitol Police, or there were at least a, a close to a dozen agencies, I believe, that were brought in. Uh, so you had cops of all different sorts that were there. 
And I would be shocked if some of them didn't at least uh, turn a blind eye. There was a picture yesterday of, uh, you know, uh, one of the Capitol Police taking a selfie of himself with one of the protesters. This looks awfully, awful a lot like what was happening in Wisconsin when people didn't even bother arresting uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, that teenager with a gun. And he was allowed to walk around. So I, I'm very suspicious, as many people are, about whether uh, the, the what we're going to discover is that it, uh, while there were certainly some technical problems, I mean, these bulletproof windows shouldn't have been so easily broken. Uh, but I think we're going to discover, as we always discover, even with the Internet uh, breakdowns, that it's always the people <laughs> that that are the main reason. And if some of if some of the cops were uh, letting these people in or making it easy or not putting enough resistance, that's going to show up because there are cameras everywhere. So we'll find out whether that was involved. But was there a racial component? Yes. Uh, There was certainly white grievance involved and possibly also white privilege in the sense that, yes, different assumptions are made. If it had been a predominantly black group of people, it's quite likely that uh, we would have seen the National Guard out there. We saw them for their peaceful protest. They certainly would have brought it up if they had, you know, uh, tried to storm the Capitol. And yes, probably many of them would have been shot. So yes, let's be honest about it. Uh, We do have racial stereotyping going on in America. Well, look at the response to the, um, uh, what happened in Portland with the courthouse up there in terms of uh, the police presence and the police response. I mean, it went on for many days, but certainly is a contrast. And Stephen's son, Capitol Police Chief, did resign. What do you think about coming up on a break here, unfortunately, but I'd like to hear your thoughts about uh, uh, what's described as the darker web fueling what happened Wednesday. Oh, yeah, this really is frightening. I mean, you and I didn't grow up with this, Michael, but uh, the the way the dark web works, uh, both with respect to uh, international terrorism and domestic terrorism, is very frightening. And we have to put a lot of resources into really tracking these down. A lot of the European democracies are ahead of us on this, I believe. Um, and so we really have to keep track of what's going on on that because it's become a major force of mobilization and it makes it very hard for us to act preemptively. I want to get Brendan on next. Brendan, join us. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my question is this. So, yes, it is the right path to take the impeachment, show the steps, show the American public that we are not taking this lightly. But if it does fail, if there's not the political will to pursue it, what happens with our uh, standing in the world? China, Russia, if everyone sees that, oh, he did something bad, we're going to go ahead and impeach him, and it fails, what happens then? Good question. It is a good question. And, you know, there's a downside to every strategy. And it every time we have an opportunity to do something and we fail to do it about Trump, then, yeah, we suffer. So I agree with you. But I think if we didn't act and if we didn't really force the Republican Party to come to grips with the cancer that's within its own ranks, uh, we would be even more guilty in the eyes of the, uh, the rest of the world. So I I think it's damned if you do and damned if you don't on this one. And I frankly think there's just too much importance to getting the Republican Party to confront. Are they going to use 
this far-right fascist component as the critical element of their coalition going forward, or are they going to get rid of it? And if and if they don't have the courage to do it, then I think the Democrats ought to, uh, should force them to get on record and uh, really think hard about it. Which uh, brings me to your research, and we need a lot more time to go into this, but i just like a quick response because I was reading about what you were saying about the big tent uh, political parties as gatekeepers changing, changing because control has been essentially... Uh, ceded to decentralized constellations, as you call them, interest groups, and uh, for that matter, uh, ideological factions. Uh, so you talk about this in terms of the primary and in terms of social media and campaign finance laws. A lot needs to be changed and a lot needs to be brought under a kind of different direction and a wholly different trajectory. And can we move toward that? Yeah, this is the big question. I wrote a whole book about this. <laughs> I know. Uh, you know, I... I and it's really uh, a worrying thing that we, do, you know, we've moved from representative democracy increasingly to this notion that the people can rule themselves without experts, without uh, representatives. And frankly, I think this is another reminder of why you can't, because uh, people are easily brainwashed by uh, their leaders sometimes and the rest. And so this checks and balances system we have, this these breaks and gatekeepers, they were there for a reason. Right from the start, the founding fathers were worried about the instability of democracy. It is, it, it's just something that they had seen throughout history. And so if we don't have those checks and balances, if we don't remember some of the Madisonian lessons, we're just going to have more and more of these kinds of problems in the future. Bruce Kane, always good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Michael. That's Bruce Kane, professor of political science at Stanford and director of the Bill Lane Center for the American West. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.